The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Hebrews chapter number 13, the Bible says in verse number 1, we're going to read the first eight verses. The Bible says, let brotherly love continue. Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. God wants us to be hospitable. Verse number 3, remember them that are in bonds as bound with them. It's talking about people that are suffering for um, Christ's sake. And so we are to remember those that are persecuted. And you think that even around the world, whether it's China or Iran or different places around the world, North Korea, there are many believers that are in bonds for doing something like we're doing this morning. They're in prison. They're suffering for their faith. And so God tells us to remember our brothers and sisters in Christ that are suffering for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. God wants us to be faithful uh, to marriage and to keep our sexuality inside of marriage. Verse number five, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God. We're talking about spiritual leaders whose faith follow, considering the end, the goal of their conversation, their lifestyle, and this is the goal of their lifestyle. Jesus Christ is same yesterday, today, and forever. Here is, uh, as the writer of Hebrews finishes out the book of Hebrews, he gives a lot of specific instruction, practical instruction to God's people on how they are to live their daily lives. Because we just kind of took a, a, a rush through a lot of practical things. Uh, you're supposed to love each other. You're supposed to remember um, folks that are in prison because of their faith. You're supposed to honor your marriage vows. Uh, you're supposed to um, be content with such things as you have. And so he's running through all this and giving a lot of practical input into our lives. Just remember something. The word of God is intensely practical. It is not meant to be this high-style uh, book that you, you read, and it's just kind of a, a religious thing. You come into a service, you don't understand it, and you just kind of go home, well, I read it. It's intended to be practical. Uh, some religions uh, will, will pride themselves on, on keeping the Bible and, and the truth of Scripture up in the, up in the elders or in the, the priesthood, but that's not the way God intended it. He intended for the Word of God to be practical to you and to me. So what we're going to look at today is a practical subject that's going to impact our lives. We can take and we can walk with it this week. And so let's ask God to help us with that. Father, would you be our teacher this morning? You promised that the Holy Spirit who indwells every believer here would guide us into all truth. And we need you to be our teacher. And so we're asking that you would help us to set aside distraction, uh, Lord, to uh, to set aside the things that are, that are bothering us. And Lord, I pray that you would just rapture our attention with your word and that you would be our teacher, that you would guide us into the truth that you need us to walk in this week so that we might be lights for you everywhere we go and so that we might grow in Christ's likeness. So help us, Lord. I pray if there's uh, folks here that don't know for certain that they've, uh, that they've received Christ, that they're a part of the family of God, Lord, would you show them their need today? Would you help them? Would you give them courage to trust you and to accept you by faith? 
And Lord, we will thank you for all that you do in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Advertisers, I was struck this week in particular. Uh, I, I, you, you get them like I do. You get emails constantly of advertisements, do you not? And now uh, it seems that text advertisements um, come through pretty often. And I don't know about you, the, the, the phone calls, I don't know about this do not call list. I don't know where that thing exists or if it's just one of those things, you know, is it, it, you know it's like the, the boy that cried wolf after a while, they, they just don't pay any attention to it. But constant, uh, constant advertisement coming into our lives. And they need to make money and, and, and I understand that, but there's constant advertisement. But one of the things about advertisers is they're always offering you something that is bigger, better, and more, all right? So I got, a, I got an email this week, um, and I use, I use Apple Computer, and so it, you always have, you know, what's the next biggest thing that's coming out? You know, it seems around fall and uh, 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 that things come out, the new iPhone and all those types of things. They're always trying to push bigger, better, more. You know, it's a better camera, it's a bigger camera, it's a bigger phone, it's, you know, it's bigger, better, and more. It has more space on it. Now you can hold 65,000 pictures on your phone instead of just, you know, just, instead of a, a couple thousand. You can, it's always bigger, better, more. But I got, they, they've just come out with a new operating system. And I read the first blurb, and it just kind of struck me, I don't know, I, I wasn't extremely excited about it. It's like my computer's working fine, I don't, I don't want anything to disrupt uh, you know, its connectivity and connectivity with others, I don't want to disrupt anything. But the first blurb was really, nothing in the world compares to what we're offering you right now. Like, it, it's going to make your computer do things you never thought your computer could do. And it just hit me, like, it really struck me, like, these guys all have the same message. It's always bigger, better, more. I gotta jump on this because it's better. And it's gonna make your life better. And it's gonna make you so much more effective in your life. And it's, it, it's constant. So whether you, know, you come through Black Friday and it's all these different things, bigger, better, more, bigger, better, more. And it, it, honestly, as you begin to watch some of that, if you begin to um, uh, get caught up in that, you begin to be very discontent with your smaller, less, and not as good, right? Hey, well, you know what, I, I, guess, I guess my phone isn't working so well, and I guess my computer really isn't that fast, and it really isn't fulfilling my dreams, and that TV, that even though it's 55 inches, really, I could use it to be 85 inches, like, and you look at these TVs, they, you walk into Costco, and they're huge, and the color is better than life, like, you don't see people look that good in real life, well, I mean, I'm sorry, we just don't look that good in real life. And, and they've changed everything. It's bigger, better, more. But here's the thing. We are going into a season that has really uh, totally switched in our secular society, in our postmodern society, away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is not about the baby that came in the manger that we are, we're talking about. It is about materialism. I walked into Walmart this week, and I honestly, through the whole pandemic, I've just, I've, I've tried to steer, uh, steer clear of being in, in these, in these bigger, these bigger box stores, you know, I, I don't know why, just, I, I have, and, but I walked in, I needed something that was specific to Walmart, and I walked in, and I walked up the aisle, and I'm telling you, it's mounted, we're, we're morning time, it's, it's time for life to get going, and, and, and business to start up, and it is mounted with cardboard boxes full of stuff to be put on the shelves, and the shelves are already full. 
And it struck me again, we are being drowned out with our materialism even in our stores. Like, it's, 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 it's overflowing. There's stuff, there's candles in every cent you can imagine to buy. If you've read Pilgrim's Progress, it's like Vanity Fair on steroids. It's amazing. And we are just, it's everywhere we look. Bigger, better, more. You need this in order to be happy. And if you don't have five or to 15 presents under the tree, it's not a good Christmas. Now, here's the thing. Here's why I'm dealing with this. And we've chosen to, to step into a series for the next four weeks on, on Christmas at home. And, and the subtitle is this. It, sometimes it's messy. Uh, sometimes our lives, our families aren't all put together like you know, we might imagine we want them to be. Sometimes families have difficulties. Families have fights, arguments. There isn't 15 presents under the tree. Uh, they're in the finances to do that. We're just happy to have food on the table, right? You know, there's, there is a, there's a sense where sometimes family isn't always what everyone wants to expect it to be. And we need to be real about that. But one of the, the idols, one of the sins that can drain the joy out of our families and legitimately make a mess in our families. And I'm not, if you're here as a single person, it can make a mess in your life just as much as it can make, it, uh, make in a family with children or a grandparent's home. Uh, it can make a mess. And it is the sin of discontentment. And as we try to go into this Christmas season and really any, any part of our lives, Anytime we allow sin into our lives, we become enslaved to something and we will lose joy. Now, Satan always advertises bigger, better, more. If you have this, you'll be happy, right? Didn't he do that to Eve? If you eat this fruit, you'll be happy, you'll be like God, right? Isn't that what he did? Uh, he is the greatest con artist, but really, in reality, he started his, his, he started his life, his dastardly deeds, out as an advertiser. Like, that's what he was. I'm advertising something, and you need this in order to be happy. That's, that's who he is. And so the, the thing that comes up in our lives is we begin to look at all that the world is dazzling and you know, throwing at us constantly, and we begin to be discontent. Uh, it could be with a season of life that we become discontent. I don't have a family that looks like that. Uh, my wife doesn't look like that. My husband doesn't act like that. My children don't behave this way, and, and my home doesn't quite have uh, what I want it to have, and my car, man, it, it, you know, it, it doesn't look like that car. And we become discontent, and it makes a mess of our lives, it makes a mess of our relationships, and friends, mark it down, it will make a mess of our homes. And it's not just children that are discontent. Oftentimes, they get that from their parents, us. And I find this whole subject to be very convicting, even as I've prepared this for today. I find it very uh, convicting, and, and, and I've told the Lord, Lord, help me. I, I need your help in this, in this matter. We are to live as content individuals. God wants that to be the case. So regardless of what it is, it can be money, it could be a geographic location, it can be a relationship, but any sort of discontentment in our life is going to make a mess of our homes, it's going to make a mess of our, our spiritual life before God. It is going to make a mess of our relationships. And we do well to say, God, would you cleanse me of that? Would you help me to get rid of that, to repent of that, and to seek contentment in you? And so let's learn this morning from what this practical passage gives us on this matter of contentment. 
Discontentment, when allowed to set in, is going to cause us always to be thinking, I will be happy if I have this or if this changes in my life. Now, all of us, I mean, this, this hits all of us in a way, uh, I'll be happy if 2020 gets over. But you know, honestly, what happens if 2021 looks a whole lot like 2020? Have you done the calculation? Our country's in indecision right now. Do you realize that no matter who sits in that office, our country's going to have some turmoil? What happens if 2021 just has a little different flair of 2020? Are we going to be able to be content where we are and what God has allowed in our lives? And I think it's a question that we have to have to ask ourselves. The children of Israel, one of the main sins that went on in their lives, Exodus chapter 16, verse number 9, God says, listen, I've heard your murmuring. Do you realize that murmuring and complaining is the language of a discontent heart? And you had the Israelites, though they went through and God sustained their shoes. Imagine having shoes for 40 years. They just won't wear out yet. I had a set of brakes in the front of my car that were a little bit like that. They wouldn't wear out. Even though they, they wobbled a little bit, they wouldn't wear out. Uh, but they had them for, for 40 years. God sustained their clothing and did not allow them to wear out. He fed them daily with manna. He even gave them meat in the wilderness. And yet they still complain, we don't have what we want. We don't have the garlics and the leeks that were over in Egypt. And can you imagine getting to the point that you're so desperate, you're complaining, you don't have the garlics and the, the onions uh, to eat. But they were murmuring. And God said this in Exodus 16, verse number 9, I have heard your murmuring. Now that's a sobering thought right there. God hears the language of my discontent heart. Let that sink in. In this season of the year, and really I, I say this season, but it's... For us, we don't live seasonal Christianity, right? We're not supposed to be doing that. So we are to be content at any time of the year. But I, I, I just see, especially right now, I mean, the, the, the bombardment materialism in our society, the God of materialism is everywhere we look. And we can get sucked up in that. And so that's why we deal with a subject like this. But the moment we become discontent and begin complaining, I don't have this, we are sinning against God. Now, is it wrong to have nice things? No. Uh, we'll see a little later on. God has given us all things richly to enjoy. It's not wrong to have nice things. But you'll see that from a heart of contentment makes all the difference in the world. So we have this passage of Scripture here. The sixth virtue, the sixth practice that is given to us in Hebrews 13 is this matter of letting our conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. So how, how in this day, how can we model contentment? How can we live content in our daily lives? Let's learn about it this morning. First of all, notice the choices that we make. The choices that we make in verse number five. He says, let your conversation be. Say that with me. Loud and clear, let your conversation be. One more time, let your conversation be. Do you know that we choose our behavior? We choose our behavior. You're not a product of your environment as much as you are a product of your choices. Now that goes against a lot of what's happening in the mainstream of, of life right now in our world. 
We want to play the victim card and we want, to be, we want to feel like we are the product of our environment. And certainly there is an element of truth to that, but it's not totally true. God has given you and I a free will. We make choices. You make choices no matter where you grew up, no matter how bad your, your growing up years were, no matter how bad your life is right now, you have the ability to make choices right now that can change your future. And that's not, this isn't a self-help message or you know, a feel-good message, but the fact of the matter is you make choices. Today you have a choice to make. You're going to either go uh, with continuing in discontentment and, and allow the Lord to, 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 uh, to, to, uh, to just the message to fall on deaf ears, or you're going to have a choice where you say, Lord, I want to walk content, and I want you to expose any discontentment in my life. Boy, that's a way to go. That's the way to go. We have uh, choices in our behavior. It says, let your conversation be. This word conversation is uh, more than just our talk. It, is, it includes that, but it is all of our behavior. So I want you to understand that. It's all of our behavior. And he says to us, you need to allow your conversation to be a certain way. Don't allow it to be one way. Allow it to be another way. I want your behavior to be this way. And so we have to take responsibility, every one of us, young or old, we have to take responsibility for where we are right now. We have to take responsibility for the choices that we have made in response to life, in response to God's word, in response to our relationships, we have to take responsibility for where we are right now. And let me just say this, sometimes we do oftentimes blame our, uh, our upbringing on how we are today, but there is a reality. Yes, yes, a lot of things that happen in our upbringing, I'll be the first one to say, boy, it does impact where we are right now, but we don't have to stay there. Just because you grew up a certain way does not mean you have to live the rest of your life that way. By God's grace, you can make choices. If you grew up with a generational sin, perhaps lying in your, in your family or, or uh, covetousness in your family, where it was just a materialistic family, you do not have to continue on that way. You can make choices that honor God. So our behavior is something that we choose. We choose how we live. And God wants us to realize he's given us a free will. We have to make choices. We have a choice to make today. We have a choice every day that we live to make choices that would honor God. But our behavior becomes what describes us. Our behavior becomes what describes us. Notice in verse number um, five, let your conversation be without covetousness. And so this word covetousness means the idea of loving money, loving things. It's, it's characterized by an immoderate desire for acquiring wealth. This isn't just, I want to provide for my family. This is far beyond that. I want more. I want more. I, I must have more. It actually is a word that is formed by two Greek words that one means fondness of, and the other means silver. So the idea is fondness of silver, uh, love of money is what is going on, but it is an adjective. And for all you English people, I'm not, I, I, I work at it, but I'm not superior at, at that at all. But I do know this about adjectives, Ms. Dawn. I, I do know this. Uh, I, I know that they describe, they describe a noun. And they, they help to understand something. They help to give color to it. Listen, your behavior, your conversation, God is saying, I do not want it to be described by covetousness. I don't want the descriptor of your life as a believer to be one of covetousness. I don't want people, when they view your life, to look, uh, look on and say, there goes a covetous person. 
God says, I want your life to be free of that adjective. I want your life to be free of that description. And so how important it is that we would not give ourselves over to covetousness. That is a choice. A pastor is not to be covetous, 1 Timothy 3 and verse number 3. But the Bible tells here all believers not to be covetous. And it's not just a qualification for a pastor, but all of us as believers are not to have covetousness as a part of our lifestyle. Later on in Ephesians 5 and verse 3, but fornication and uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be named once among you as becometh saints. So God literally says to you and me, he says, I don't want it even to come up in your lives once. I want you to be that free of covetousness. Now, if you're like me, we've all missed the mark. And we need God's help. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. Jesus himself told his disciples in Luke 12, and verse number 15, and he said unto them, take heed, beware, beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not and the abundance of things which he possesseth. How many of you have seen the slogan, he who has the most toys wins? All right? So for NRA guys, who has the most guns wins, right? Or who, you know, who has the most mounted, uh, mounted uh, bucks wins? You know, whatever it is, who has the most, hey, he, he wins. But that's not true. Jesus himself said that our lives do, are not made up of the things we possess. Your life today is not made up. It does not consist of the things you possess. In all honesty, as a believer, your life is made up by who possesses you. And we can get that out of sorts. We can begin to look at our very materialistic world, and though it's not wrong to enjoy some of the things that God has allowed for us to have during this, this day, uh, we're, not, we're not saying all things are bad, bad, you know, you know get... The idea is, what has your heart? What has your heart? He says, I don't want covetousness to be a part of you at all. I don't want it to describe you. And so the choices we make will determine whether we can maintain a, a, a content lifestyle. And so it's important for us to, to initially just say, I need to take responsibility for where I am right now. If I have discontentment going on in my life, if there's covetousness going on there, and it's not just about the love of money, but the love of things... And it's not even, friends, it's not even the amount of things that we want. Well, that person's covetous because they want a million dollars, but I only want a thousand. Right? Covetousness is wanting anything that I do not have. And, and again, in an inordinate way, in an unlawful, uh, an ungodly, a non-God-pleasing way, uh, you take a coin, uh, even a dime, and you position it in front of your eye between you and the sun, and at a certain point, that, that little coin can completely cut out the sun. It doesn't take a lot of covetousness to cut out God's working in your life. It, it, it isn't a lot that cuts it out. It can just be a little bit. Me, I, I just want this. It's not too much to ask. I want this, and you become consumed with this. And friends, the choices we make about covetousness are going to, whether to, to embrace it or whether to reject it, are, gonna, uh, are going to determine whether we're able to maintain a content lifestyle. Look at verse number five again. And be content with such things as you have. And be content with such things as you have. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Be content. 
I want you to notice that this contentment is maintained by personal submission. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? How does submission come into contentment? You'll see in a moment here, but here's the idea. Uh, As you look at your life right now, are you able to say, you know, honestly, okay, I have what I need to exist. I have what I need to exist and to carry on life. I have what I need. Contentment here is to be satisfied. That's the overwhelming thought, to be satisfied. Uh, It's a demonstrating of satisfaction with the the way things are. Now, we are not to be content with the way we are in our our spiritual life. We should always be striving to go forward. I I should not get to a place where I don't really care about, you know, I'm happy where I am. I've reached a plateau. I'm happy where I am. There should always be a striving forward. However, there should be a contentment with where God has you today. You might think, boy, I wish I could be like that Christian. And there's a sense where that, you know, it's great to have that, that goal, but you know what God is doing in your life right now in this place, as long as you're saying yes to God, I can say, you know what, even in this place right now, praise the Lord, I've done what God wanted me to do today, and there's a certain satisfaction that comes in that moment. Uh, just make sure that tomorrow you aren't satisfied where, uh, with, uh, that tomorrow you're not in the same place, and not, you know, if God's moving you on, You need to keep on moving with God. But this matter of personal submission, Lord, I have what I need. You've given me what I need. Uh, There's a a certain uh, troubledness of heart that comes into our lives when we're constantly looking, "I, I need that and I want that. And when we submit to the Lord, I actually have what I need. You've given me what I need. The idea of this word is really pretty strong. What is being said here to these believers, uh, it's a command with... uh, with every force you could possibly give. God is saying, this is something I want to be dominant in your life. But you might think of this as an active idea. It's actually passive. And what I mean by that is it's something that I have to allow to sweep over my soul and my heart. It's actually something I have to allow God to work in my life. And so that's what I mean by submission. God wants us to be content. He's given us all things that we need for life and for godliness. Right? He's given us all those things. He told that unto us in, in, in 1 Peter. He's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. He's given us that. I can live a godly life with what I have right now. He's told us that. But he says, I, I want you to allow this contentment to wash over your soul. I want you to submit to the fact that in reality, I have what I need. And that's where the rubber meets the road oftentimes in our lives. We don't want to submit to that. I do need this in order to be happy. I do need this in order to be joy-filled. No, God says, no, I want you to allow contentment to wash over your heart. And I, I, can, I can tell you firsthand, there have been times in my life where I really wanted something, and I had to stop and admit, you know what, in order to please God right now, I don't need that. And it was a submission of heart to God. I can remember back before I was married, and I, I, my pastor's wife growing up, I, I remember where I was standing when she said this. She says, Josiah, she is, she is 4'11". By this time, I was head and shoulders over her, and uh, she, was, she was just short. And I remember, Josiah, she goes, you're going to never get married until you tell God that you don't have to be married. I didn't like to hear that. Now, I'm... I'm, I'm I'm getting into college, you know, I want to get married. This is, you know, that's not how that things work. You know, I found it absolutely to be true until I was content with the station in life of being single, that God did not show me who he wanted me to marry. Isn't that amazing? And 
And God often has to do that in our lives. It's a submission to him. Uh, an old Puritan preacher, Jeremiah Burroughs, said it this way, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. I delight in what God has given me right now. Well, what a blessed place to be. No matter where you are in what season of life you are, you can be content with what God has given you, knowing that his hand is, has dealt that to you and that he is in control. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 6 and verse number 8, and having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. I'm to be content with food and raiment, with food and clothing. I'm glad you're all clothed today. Have you been able to eat today? God says, then be content. Wow, that, that kind of sets us aside from the culture in which we live. Well, I got to have an Xbox, and I got to have the new, this new phone, and I got to have this faster internet speed, and I got to have this and that. I need a car that, that has seat warmers in it. You know, I mean, at some point, most of us have that by now. I, I'm guessing some, uh, some of us, others, others, you have to get in and just kind of wait till it warms up, right? But the, but the fact is, we, 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 we add on all these things that we think we need, and God says, no, 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 no. I want you to know, if you have food and if you have clothes, you can be content. I've added in your notes, and I'll let you take time to, to read over those, but before you make a purchase, uh, is there some considerations that you ought to make? There's four questions in there. Consider those. And before you make a purchase, uh, is this going to help me be more content, or is this, is this just something that is feeding into my discontentment? So contentment is maintained in my life by personal submission. God, thank you for what you've given me, what you've allowed in my life. I have what I need to live life in a way that pleases you right now. I don't need anything else. That is a blessed place to be, friends. And may we strive for that. But I want you to notice he doesn't stop there because I can't do that on my own and neither can you. And he says, he gives us a promise that contentment is maintained in the presence of the Savior. Contentment is maintained in the presence of the Savior. Notice, for he hath said, he explains how that we can be content with such things as we have, with our circumstances as they are right now with our possessions as they are right now. He says, this is the way it happens. For he, Jesus, hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And so contentment is maintained not just by submission to God saying, yes, I have what I need, but it's also maintained in the daily presence of Jesus Christ, realizing that he will never leave me nor forsake me. Here's what was going on with these early believers, these Jewish people. They had as they separated from Judaism and turned to the Messiah, as they began to walk with Christ and follow after the way on Christianity, they were called Christians first in Antioch, and as they began to follow after this, the Judaizers or the, the Jewish people, the, those of the, of the religious elites and the whole religious structure of, uh, of the Jews, began to look down on them. Boy, they had the temple. They had all their, uh, their ceremonies, all the the rituals that they went through mindlessly and uh, mechanically, they had all this. As one author put it, these adherents to Judaism were continually saying to the believers, we have the tabernacle, we have the priesthood, 
We have the offerings. We have the beautiful rituals. What do you have? And it's almost like God was saying to these believers, listen, you have enough. You have me. You have my presence. That is something they didn't have up at the temple. They were still going on in, in rejection to the Messiah. And Jesus is saying to poor saints there that were, there were oftentimes persecuted for the faith and did not have very much in life. He's saying, listen, you actually have enough because I have said to you, I will never leave thee and I will never forsake you. Do you realize the, way, uh, the reason that you and I can be contented right now in America going through these times in America is because we have Jesus Christ. And that is something the world does not understand. And that is something that will maximize our impact and our light in their lives if we'll get a hold of the fact, I have enough because I have Jesus Christ. I don't need anything else in order to please God. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He has said this. This is Christ's personal promise to you. It's not a man's promise to you. It's Christ's personal promise to you. It's interesting in this verse, and perhaps you've heard this before, but don't lose the wonder of what Jesus Christ is saying here to you and I. In this verse, there are five negatives that are in the Greek structure. He says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Oftentimes, if we use a double negative, what does that make? What? Right. But that's not the case in the Greek language. It just continued to compound. And when God says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, it was he was reiterating it no less than five times to give us the assurance of the fact that it is impossible for Jesus Christ to leave someone who has believed on him. Isn't that amazing? Friends come and go. Relationships come and go. Even through this season, you might have some family relationships just blow up. Right? It's not comfortable to be in those situations. You're struggling through that at time. But you, you can have this confidence that Jesus has said, you can be content because I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And take that to the bank. It is true. It's verified. And five times, I just want you to get it down. I want you to understand that I'm not going to leave you. So let's grab a hold of this truth. If we have come to this point where Jesus is enough and therefore I can be content, it is from that heart attitude that you, can, you and I can truly discern between needs and wants. So you say, well, does God just want us to live, you know, live in, in such an isolated life and without things? Are things bad? No, no, it's from a heart of contentment that we're able to enjoy things in our lives. And does not God give us some of the things that we want? Doesn't he? I, I can write down a list of things that God gave me that, I don't need in, in order to live godly. And they're from God. But how much better we can enjoy them, how much better we can interact with them and not give a heart over to them when we have a heart of contentment, when Jesus is all I need. So when we walk into the, to the store, when we walk into Best Buy or to uh, walk over, not walk over, sit down in front of Amazon, right, and begin to click through, you and I can... Better discern between need and want when we are content with Jesus Christ. When he's everything I need. So the way that you and I need to go into our tomorrow is, Lord, you're enough. You're enough. The way we need to lead our families into the Christmas season is, you're enough. Well, I didn't get four presents and everyone else got 
you know, they, they got more than I did, and, and, and what a problem that is, and I, and I can't be content because I didn't get this, and, you know, we can help our children and grandchildren realize that Jesus Christ is enough, and we model that through our lives. Think about this, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. What does the last part of the verse say? I shall not want. Want in the Bible is talking about lack. If Jesus Christ who owns all things, is my shepherd. What in the world do I have any lack of? Nothing. I was thinking about this this morning. There was a verse of scripture that really grabbed my attention, and it's in Psalm 112, and it says this, that the Lord is full of compassion. That word full just, I mean, it just jumped off the page, and my mind immediately goes to, uh, you know, filling up a glass with water, and I was thinking about, wow, it's overflowing. That's amazing. It's overflowing. That's, that's what the Bible says about my God and how he's compassionate towards me. It's, it's overflowing. It's not half. It's not some. It's, it's not partial. It's, it's overflowing. I was driving in, and it dawned on me, and, and this is what dawned on me. My God is described in Scripture as infinite. So how do you fill up something that's infinite? It's never ending. And that's the same God that tells me that he's my shepherd and I don't have to want. He's full of a lot more than just compassion. He's full of every, uh, every piece of money that I'll ever need in my life to exist here on earth. He's, he's full of every, every blessing that I'll ever need in my life. He's full of all grace. He is, he's completely full. He's infinitely full. That's my God. I have everything I need in him. 1 Timothy 6 and verse number 17. The Bible tells uh, Timothy, Paul, Paul encouraging him, charge them that are rich in this world. He's talking about believers. That they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us all things richly to enjoy. God is amazing. And what he's saying there is don't trust in the riches. Don't trust in things. Put your heart in God. And when your heart is in God, you can enjoy the things of this world in a totally different way, in a way that doesn't grab a hold of your heart. I've, I've known people who are very well-to-do, but the riches didn't get to their heart. They walked with the Lord. They loved the Lord. It didn't taint them. They weren't covetous just because they had more. We kind of live in a culture where, you know, uh, where we're almost demonizing those that have more. You know, God gives to each one of us what we can handle. Thank him for what he has given you and, and live in godliness with it. If he's made you to be well-to-do and given you money, don't trust in that money. Trust in the Lord and enjoy the things that he's given you. So contentment in our hearts is going to lead us to being at rest before our, our God. You are enough. You are enough. But it's also going to lead to this. It's going to lead to confidence in our lives. Confidence. Notice in verse number six, so that we may boldly say. This word boldly is the idea of being confident. This is something that we do act on. As God, as we allow God to fill our hearts with, with contentment, as we submit to him in that way, as we allow that to be happening, by the way, Contentment is an allowed attitude. It's an allowed attitude. So as we allow that to happen in our lives, we can actively go forward into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, saying this, the Lord is my helper. 
The Lord is my helper. I can boldly declare that to my friends at work and to my family at home. I can boldly say, even though there's a financial issue, I can boldly say before my wife or before my children, God is our helper. I can boldly say to the rest of my family, hey, there's some, there's some uh, relational issues, but God is our helper. God will bring us through this. And there's confidence that we can model in front of others as we find contentment in Christ. This confidence is in the help of the Lord. I don't have the ability to work through the problems of life. I don't have the ability to provide for all of my needs. God does. He is my helper. And I want us to catch a hold of this because we've talked a lot about the Lord, all caps in the, in the Old Testament. And, and where it, it says that, it's talking about Jehovah, the self-existent one, the great I am, right? The, the one who he is, I am, and you fill in the blank, and that's who God is. He is, he is it. He's endlessly it. This is the same word here, the Lord. Jehovah, the I am, the one who does not need you to exist. He does not have a birthday. We celebrate Christmas, but that's when God came down and took on flesh. As a man, there's a time, whether it was in December or not, I I don't know, but this is when we celebrate it. There's a time when he came and took on human flesh. But as God, he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is before all things. He's the one that created time. He is I am. And whatever you need, he is. And the Bible tells us that the Lord Jehovah, he is my helper. I can boldly say that. And because I can say that, I don't have to fear. I don't have to be afraid. Do you know you do not have to be afraid this year? Well, what's 2021 going to look like? You do not have to be afraid because the Lord is my helper. He is my helper. He is the one who who fulfills my needs. He is the one who steps into my life as an advocate. He is the one who steps into my life and delivers me. He is the one who is my guide into all truth and my guide throughout life. Fear that not, for I am with thee. Neither be dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yet I will help thee. Yeah, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Our God upholding us. Do you realize the importance? We get, we get so earthly minded and we live our life in the world like, like it all depends on us and it all depends on what I have and if, if, I, don't, if I don't work harder to get this, you know, I, we can come over to God's side and live in complete rest in his care and his provision and his help. That's contentment. It's a settledness. Is your heart settled today? Or is it like a cup full of Elka-Seltzer? You know know what happens when when our stomachs get upset? You go take some Tums. Listen, there, there are times we just need to take a little bit, a lot bit of contentment. And we need to allow God to settle us out in who he is. He is my helper. He's the one who can help in any situation. We must learn to rest in the help of the Lord, not just with our words. We're really good at being word-only Christians, right? Oh, yes, God is my helper. He's my provider. But when it comes down to it, when there's money needed to pay a bill, is he still your helper? We're talking about our brother Mike. You know, honestly, as we prayed with him last night, we just told the Lord, we don't have any ability. Like, we're just men. You got to do this. 
This is, this is you. We don't have any ability. And friends, the same way, we don't have any ability over viruses, flu, COVID, colds, whatever it is. He's our helper. And because he's our helper, I can be content with wherever I am in life and with whatever I have in life. And so this confidence comes from the help of the Lord. But notice he says there in the last phrase of verse number 6, I will not fear what man shall do unto me. This confidence is through the threats of men. I can go through all the threats of men, and there's a lot of threats of men in the world right now. Is there not? There's all sorts of things that, that, that cause us to be unsettled. But we can go right through all that boldly and with confidence because the Lord is our helper. We can go right through that with contentment because the Lord is our helper. And so really what's going on here is kind of a rhetorical question. What is man going to do to me? God's my helper. What in the world can that family member do to me? God is my helper. That person that's trying to slander your character, what can they do to you? God is my helper. What can a hostile government do to us? God is our helper. What can, a, what can a jealous co-worker do to me? God is my helper. Now I challenge you, maybe there's some, there's some things in your life where right now you are fearing man. And I'd encourage you to put down in your, your notes this morning where I put a blank, uh, what, can, what can man do to me? You fill that in, make it personal in your life. What is it that man, you think, you feel like man can do to me and just rectify that with a fact. No, they can't. God is my helper. I can be bold right through that. This is not an arrogance. This is a total dependence on who Jesus Christ is and what he is in our life. I do not have the ability to fix situations. God does. And uh, that isn't isn't to, to say that God does not direct us in fixing a situation and we just, well... You know, leave it all to God you know, and, and don't take steps to do what he tells us to do. You understand there's a balance there. But he is, he is the one who is the helper. When we rely on him, it changes everything. So we have to accept the threats and actions of men as powerless against us when God is our helper. We have to rectify that in our minds. No man can do anything to us that God does not allow. I can rest in that. And I need a rest in that. Do you see how this whole, these two verses would, does change the way that we live through a season like this? And do you not see how this causes our light to shine very brightly in front of a world that's overcome by materialism and by comparison? I was thinking also, social media has put comparison right up in front of us all the time. Like instant comparison. Your Christmas dinner didn't look as good as hers. And listen, your cutting board isn't good as hers. She just got that one that you know has the drip tray and you know you know there's no mess. It has the spikes. Have you seen this one advertised? Right, it has the spikes. And boy, if you have this one, there's no mess. Before your whole kitchen would be a mess, but now with this and I forget what it's called, this special cutting uh, a carving board, it lets all the juice slow down. So you just take it out. You take out the pan, you pour it into a a gravy dish, and you have instant gravy. It's just, man, it's just. (laughs) We can live content through this season and shine brightly for Jesus. And you know how this affects our families? Listen, 
parents, grandparents, when we live this way, older brothers and sisters, when you live this way, in front of your younger brothers and sisters, do you know how that impacts them? Everyone's watching. Do you know when we live this way in our, in our church family, do you realize that that, that that rubs off onto others? Isn't it a blessing to be around contented people? What a blessing it is. I want you to think about Fanny Crosby. She had much in her life not to be content about. She was blinded by the careless act of a, a doctor at the age of six weeks. Put a, a medicine in, wrong medicine in her eye. When she was eight years old, I think most of the eight-year-olds are out, but when she was eight years old, she wrote this poem. Oh, what a happy child am I, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep or sigh because I'm blind, I cannot, nor I won't. Eight years old. She went on in her life to write some 9,000 hymns, poems. Many we still sing today in this hymnal. Some of the most blessed Songs in this hymnal are penned by a blind lady who learned what it was to be content with the situation that God had allowed in her life. Do you realize the impact that God will make of your life when you're content? When you are just, you're fine with just having Jesus. That's enough. She goes on to say, and uh, said it in her autobiography of the doctor that had done this to her, if I could meet him now, I would say, thank you, Thank you over and over again for making me blind. Although it may have been a blunder on your part, it was no mistake of God's. I truly believe it was his intention that I should live my days in physical darkness so as to better prepare to sing his praises and incite others to do the same. What a model of contentment. So how can we be content in a materialistic, comparative, idle, happy world? How can we be content in the middle of 2020 when 2021 is is pretty unknown? I remind myself that Jesus is already bigger, better, and more than anything anyone could offer me, and he's enough. He's enough. He is all that I need. And would you join me in praying this morning and asking God to help us live in that way? The hymn writer put it, I would rather have Jesus than silver or gold. Another hymn writer wrote, Take the world, but give me Jesus. Take the world, but give me Jesus. With your heads bowed this morning, believers... I mean, you'd say, as a way of testimony and decision, response to the Lord this morning, uh, Pastor, God has touched my heart about this matter of contentment, and it is my desire, it is my prayer right now that God would help me to be content with Jesus and live my life from that, that standpoint. How many are with me this morning? That's my prayer. Amen. Boy, what a change. Now, let's put feet to that this week. Let's put feet to that. It's going to begin in your relationship with him. Uh, talk to him about it. Lord, do, t- 
you, you have the right to take everything in my life, but, but yourself, you've promised me your, your continuing abiding presence, and that's good enough for me. Even now, as you might think of some things that, that are on your want list, perhaps you need to tell the Lord, Lord, I actually don't need those in order to please you. If you choose to give them to me, fine, but if you choose not to, I'm fine with that too. Is there anyone here this morning to say, Pastor, I, I do not know for certain that Jesus Christ is my Savior. You talk about this. This it seems really far out there being content with such things as you have. Uh, I, I, I don't right now have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know if I were to die that I'd spend eternity in heaven. And I am concerned about that. Even this morning, I'm concerned about that. No one looking around. Is there anyone who would, who would say, boy, that's me this morning. I'm concerned about, I don't know for certain where I'll spend eternity. I don't have that, that resting in Jesus. Just put your hand up and put it back down. I won't point you out, but love to know that this morning. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? All right, I'm going to give us an opportunity to respond to the Lord in prayer right here at the, the altar or there at your seat. So I'd ask you to stand, and I'm going to pray. Father, I ask that you would help us to be responsive to you. Help us not to be just hearers of the word, but doers of it. And Lord, we need your help. I need your help to be contented in this day in which we, in which we all live. So I pray for those that have raised their hand saying that that's their prayer. I pray that you would honor their, their desire and that you would help them to allow you to, sub, uh, to submit to you and allow you to, to fill their heart with contentment and to be able to boldly say that you are their helper. Lord, I pray for those that need to receive Jesus Christ this morning. I pray that you would minister especially to their heart, help them to have courage to follow you and to seek after you and to receive you even this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As the music plays with our heads bowed in an attitude of prayer, would you continue in prayer? May I encourage you to kneel here at the altar or there at your seat. Lord, you're enough for me. I don't need anything else. You're enough for me. Lord, that item that, boy, I've been really wanting, that, that season of life that I've been coveting after, I want. And I want to give it to you, and I want to say, Lord, if you don't choose it for me, I'm fine with that. Take the world, but give me Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. John Wesley, a preacher of days gone by, he said that it is our job as believers to give the world a right opinion of God. When we murmur, we give the world a wrong opinion of God. When we're discontent, we set before them a wrong view of God. Lord, help us. Help us as your people to demonstrate in front of everyone we live with and work with this week, Lord, help us to set in front of them a right view of you. And Lord, we'll need your Spirit's help with that. So would you remind us each day? Would you convince us? Would you convict us? Would you prompt us by your Holy Spirit to be content with such things as we have? And we'll give you glory as we see you working in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray this.
Amen. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.